What is up, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Mysteries with Mamio. I am your host, Angie Mamio Thompson. I hope everyone is doing awesome today. I am currently recording in my closet. Yes, one of the few places that a parent can hide from her children, but cannot hide from the kitty cats. So if you hear a meow, a scratch, a purr, or some other little weird noise, it is just one of the cats. So I apologize for any noise that you might hear or any yelling that I might do um, if one of the cats does something. But anyway, so this is a true crime podcast that I'm sure you are aware of because you clicked on it and I'm sure you read the description. So if this is your first exposure to true crime, hopefully you'll enjoy it. I myself have been interested in true crime for a very long time. It started way back in the 80s and early 90s. I used to watch, there's the kitty I talked about, I used to watch the original Unsolved Mysteries and I believe it was the reruns that were on it may have been ABC Family then. I don't remember what it was. Or before ABC Family, it was just the Family Network. Whatever it was, it was not a family show. And the man with the very scary voice would tell us all about the missing children, the ghosts coming out of the closets, all the scary things that would keep me up at night was actually my first interest in true crime because for whatever reason since that young age I have always loved watching crime shows listening to true crime podcasts watching true crime documentaries watching CSI any kind of law and order anything like that so I don't know maybe it's something I should talk to a therapist about we'll have to see but Shout out to my 80s babies who had parents that also let them watch things probably at too young of an age than what they should have. Also, shout out to my parents who let me watch Jaws at a very young age and now I am too afraid to go into the ocean much past my waist because you never know when a giant shark is going to come avenge the death of their baby um, or the capture of their baby. If you haven't seen it, Jaws 3, it's my favorite. But anyway, back to our first episode. This is an interesting case and I know a lot of you listeners are listening because it is a personal case to you because you were there for the events of the day that led to this missing person. So, I will give you guys a background on this case, but what is going to set this particular podcast aside from the other podcasts that have covered this case is I'm giving you new information. That is right, new information that any other podcast, web sleuth, anyone else on any kind of social media has given, they have not given you this information that I am about to give you. So I am copywriting this information. Dateline, if you want to sponsor me, 
I am willing to talk. I do have a price, but give me a call. 2020, I'll talk to you as well. Only top-notch news sources, though. I have my standards. Okay, so with this case, I have some inside information because I do know people who worked with our missing person and also saw her the day that she went missing at work. So I'm going to fill in a lot of the blanks that other people who have reported on this case did not know about and blanks that they have left. So hopefully you'll find this information exciting. So we're just going to dive right into it and hopefully you'll learn some new information. Maybe together we can solve this case and hopefully give the family some relief as to what happened um, to their dear family member, their mother, sister, cousin, and person they care about. So here we go. Benita Woody was born on January 23rd, 1978 in Trenton, New Jersey. She is about five foot six inches tall, 170 pounds to 185 pounds. She is African American and tends to have short black hair. However, she is known to wear a lot of wigs, so you can't count on her always being seen with short black hair. She also has brown eyes. She attended Ryder University, which is just outside of Trenton and close to the Pennsylvania border, and she earned her bachelor's degree in law and justice. This is something you're going to want to keep in mind. So her educational background is in law. She went on to have two children who are grown now. She has many siblings and has always been very involved with her church. I did talk to her sister. She said she is a very loving mother, which is why her family is very concerned because her sister said that she would never go off and just not contact her children, which I'm sure you parents, especially you mothers, would agree that it would have to be a very dire circumstances for you to not find a way to contact your children. But we'll talk about that a little later on. There is my other kitty. I told you guys the closet is not always a safe place to hide. But anyway, so Benita, loving mother, dedicated mother, loving sister. Most of her family is on the East Coast, whether it be in New Jersey. Her sister that I talked to actually lives in Atlanta. Her sister did mention that there is a brother here in Texas, in North Texas, but she didn't say exactly where. So Benita lived and grew up in New Jersey. She moved to McKinney, Texas, which is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, just northeast of Dallas, in January of 2020. And her car tags, her car license plates, were updated on January 10th, 2020. So she moved at the beginning of January, possibly late December. So we know she had been in Texas 
since late December, early January for her to have her tax updated by that time. She was last seen on August 5th, 2020. Now, everything that you have hear that you hear or even when I talked to her sister says that she was last seen in McKinney on August 5th. No one knew the circumstances of the day. They just said she was seen in McKinney by her home. They didn't know what she did that day. They didn't know how she was feeling, how she was acting, anything like that. Even her sister didn't know. However, this is where you're going to get some insider information. I happen to know that in August of 2020, Benita began working for a school district in the DFW area. Roughly about 20 to 30 minutes away from her home. So she began working in a school district as a special education aide. Before she moved to Texas, she was working as a um, affirmative action specialist for the New Jersey Department of Children and Families. And the, that was the last job I could find in 2014. So a few years before, but again, that was using her law background. So she was working in affirmative action. She was an affirmative action specialist. It did show the pay. And I'm just going to say that it was considerably more than what a special education aid gets in a school district. So she took a considerable pay cut. She became a special education aide in a behavior classroom. So talking to my friends that worked there that day, they said that she was acting kind of strange and unprofessional. This was the first day back for all staff. So it was the first time that anyone had met her. It was coming off right after the pandemic. We all remember those times. Um, so you really want, if it's your first day at a new workplace or a new school, you want to make a good impression. However, I was told that she was falling asleep on and off all day to where she was missing the meetings that were held online. So she was not logging on to the computers to get onto the Zoom meetings because she was falling asleep. Also, many people mentioned that she had left her car running in the parking lot all day. So they, would, they came in in the morning, her car was running. They would leave for lunch, go grab lunch. Car was running. At the end of the day, the car was running. And then many people mentioned if they would go run out and get something from their car at various times during the day, her car had been running. So she was driving at the time a 2007 Yukon. So keep that in the back of your head. She had a 2007 Yukon that had been running all day. 
So it was not a brand new car. It was Texas in August. So it was a hot day out. But she had the car running all day. And no one really knows why. She also, as she walked around during the day and as people are attending meetings, getting their classrooms ready and stuff like that, she also started to take things off of people's desks. So maybe teacher A left her cell phone on the desk or teacher B left his keys on the desk. She would start taking these and no one knew where she was going. The odd thing is, is that she wasn't stealing them. She wasn't trying to steal them and maybe, you know, go take the car or go sell the phone or something like that. She was hiding them in the front office, in the admin office, because she said, when she got caught, she said it wasn't safe because someone else would take them. So she was afraid that someone else would walk by and steal that stuff. So in her mind, she was keeping them safe. She wasn't stealing them, but she was keeping them safe. She was hiding them in a closet in the administration office so that they would stay safe and no one else would take them. So she kind of has this sporadic behavior going off on, on and off all day. She's taking other people's property for what she thinks is a good, you know, a good reason. She's trying to keep their property safe. She's falling asleep on and off. Her car's running all day. This obviously is not proper behavior, especially in a school setting when you're a week and a half from the kids coming back from school. So she was asked to leave the building, be in her car and leave. So she's escorted out to her car and she won't leave the parking lot. Car's still running. She's sitting in the car. And her sister told me that when the police came to encourage her to leave, um, she just kept saying, I have to get my thoughts together. What am I going to do? I have to get my thoughts together. What am I going to do? And when I told her sister what she did all day, she thought it was weird, which to me, I hear that. My immediate thought is she's not taking her medication. This sounds like someone who's not taking her medication or, you know, she right now or something's happening like she needs something she needs to talk to somebody she needs to take something she needs to stop taking something I don't know um so she just kept over and over again I have to get my thoughts together I have to what am I going to do and this went on for almost two hours until she finally closed her car door and left because she kept getting in and out, in and out of her car, saying this over and over again for two hours. And she wasn't violent. She wasn't yelling at anybody. She wasn't doing anything like that. So she finally leaves around 5 o'clock p.m. This is where things get kind of weird. At 10 p.m. that same day on August 5th, her car, her 2007 Yukon was found abandoned on I-40 West in Oklahoma at 10 p.m. It was found around mile marker 113. Where her car was found 
is about four hours away from where her home was in McKinney. And if you think about it, so she left the school about five. Her home would have been about 30 minutes away if traffic hadn't been bad because we're looking at five o'clock. So five o'clock traffic in Dallas, Fort Worth. So maybe she say she leaves her home at 5.30, you know, that's getting to be 9.30-ish when her car, her car breaks down or whatever happens to it, okay? So the police come by and find it at 10 p.m., about 10 p.m. So that doesn't give her much time to get from McKinney, Texas, where supposedly she is last seen, or even from her school, if she went straight from school, up to Oklahoma. So, again, it was found at mile marker 13 on I-40 West between Calumet and Gary and Canadian County, Oklahoma. And so it's found. The police do what they always do. They put a sticker on it that gives the owner five days to come back and get it. So your car breaks down on the highway. You got to figure out what you're going to do with it. You come back five days within five days get your car be on your way great so the police go back on august 10th five days later car is still there no note on the car saying you know i need another day or anything like that so they have it towed the missing person report is not made by benita's family until august 14th So she's last seen on August 5th. The report's not put out until August 14th. Why would it take that long? Like I said, most of her family is over on the East Coast, so maybe it wasn't unusual for them to go, you know, a week or two without talking to her. Why would she go that long without talking to her kids? If she was a dedicated mother, why wouldn't she have talked to her kids? I would not go that long without talking to my kids. I personally talk to my mother every day. Even in college, my roommate hated when my mother would call at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning to see how we were doing. So why would you not talk to your kids in that length of time is one of my questions I have. So the police don't know when they have the car towed at the time that this is the car of a missing person so they finally again run the plates they get the notice that Benita is a missing person this is a missing person's case it's the car of a missing person they search the car and initially what we're told is that the only thing they found was a half-eaten burrito or burrito wrapper in the seat this is the piece of evidence a burrito wrapper why is this burrito so important because according to benita's family and her sister emphasized this to me as well she did not eat fast food she only as her sister said ate clean so she was a healthy eater 
lots of salads, fruits, vegetables, all that stuff. Um, and one of her coworkers backed this up because on August 5th at lunch, several of them were going to order McDonald's. They offered to get her something and said, do you want McDonald's? She said, no, I don't eat that kind of food. Okay, so she doesn't eat fast food. And so that's a weird thing. Where did this burrito come from? Why would she all of a sudden have a burrito on a road trip? That makes no sense. But on the other hand, why would she take people's stuff and hide it in the office? Maybe something happened. Maybe she got stressed out and she just broke character. And there it was. All of a sudden, she was taking people's stuff and eating fast food all over the place. I don't know. So, that was the significance or the most important part of this missing persons case was this burrito. So, as I was initially researching this case, it was her keys were not there, her purse wasn't there, her phone wasn't there. All that was there was a burrito. So who was eating the burrito? Did she pick someone up on her drive to Oklahoma? Did someone take her car if she had a habit of leaving it running all day? What if she went to get a healthy snack at the gas station? You know, sometimes they have fruit cups. What if she went to grab a fruit cup and someone hopped in her car? And they grabbed their burrito, or already had their burrito, and went and abandoned the car. Someone may have forced her in, maybe force-fed her a burrito. We don't know. But no evidence that we know of in my initial research was found except for that burrito. So... I was very frustrated looking at this case because there was just no information being presented. I had requested copies of the police reports. I wasn't getting those back in a timely manner. So I finally got a hold of one of Benita's sisters on Facebook and, and she was nice enough to give me her number and I talked to her on the phone a few times. And she said the police didn't give her a copy of the report they didn't know any more than what I did um, or what anyone online had put out they didn't know anything else um, and then she asked me to please pass on any information that I found so I started digging because I have the summer off and I have a lot of free time on my hand and I am determined to solve some kind of unsolved mystery. And as I mentioned before, sell some kind of story to Dateline or 2020 if the price is right. Um, so I started to use my detective skills and started digging a little bit further. So, are you ready for the new information? Because this information has not been released before. 
So, my first question was, where was the car? It has been almost two years since this happened. So, where was the car? Was it released to the family? Um, was it still in the impound lot? Like, where was the car? Had it been processed? We've all seen, like, CSI and Criminal Minds and the labs processing and fingerprints and blood splatter. And did they test the burrito for DNA? Like, I wanted to know. How was the car processed? Where was it? If the car hadn't been processed, I was going to encourage the family to get it processed by a private investigator and get some answers. So when I asked the family where the car was, if they didn't know, which I thought was really unusual. And when I said that, the sister said, well, they gave us the name uh, the police gave us the name of the tow company, but when we did this a search on Google to find the number, we couldn't find it. And again, my mind is going crazy thinking, ooh, it's a police conspiracy. Something's up. So she gave me the name of what they were told it was um, the Gary tow company or something like that and so I did a search and she was right it doesn't come up on Google oh Gary towing service is what it was and I was like well that's weird so did you know that if your car gets towed in Oklahoma and I'm assuming just about any other state as long as you have your VIN number you can find out where it was towed and impounded so I go on to DPS on this for the state of Oklahoma. I enter the VIN number and I find the contact information for the impound lot where the car is. So the car was officially impounded on August 12th. So it was towed and then officially like, okay, this person's not coming. We're officially impounding it in our lot on August 12th. 12th, still two days before the missing person report came out. So I have this information. I have the address, the name of this tow company, and so I called the owner, who was a nice older gentleman. And when I asked him about the car, he said that he had had it for about a year. No one claimed it. Nothing happened, but it was just sitting there. So he called the police, and the police gave him permission to sell it. It took about three months, and it was sold. So it was sold to a private individual. I checked records with the VIN number again, and that's what it showed. It was auctioned off and sold, um, and the title was transferred to a private individual. When I called the family, they had no idea that the car had been sold. And they were surprised that the police had allowed the car to be sold because it was technically still, or still technically is, an open case. It still has the case number. Um, if you have information, you still call the police and report. So nothing has been declared to keep to close the case. 
I'll talk about the car in a minute. So the car has been sold. The car's out of the picture. No evidence on the car. I finally heard back from the Canadian County Sheriff's Office in Oklahoma a few weeks ago. And the nice lady who called me informed me that by law they don't email or send reports to people. You have to pick them up in person. Well, the Canadian County Sheriff's Department, like I said before, is about a four-hour drive. And as we all know, gas prices are ridiculous, and you can either choose to fill up your gas tank or feed your family. And since I have two wonderful growing children, I chose to have her read the report to me over the phone as opposed to actually get a physical copy four hours away. So she read me the copy of the report because she told me there wasn't anything really significant in it that would warrant me driving up four hours. So she read me the report and initially told me that the front passenger tire was blown. That's why the car had stopped. Previously, we didn't know that. It was just a question. It was just as we talked about, well, did it run out of gas? Was it just pulled over? What happened? The tire was flat. They also made note that it looked like it had been driven on for a little bit. Like the tire was flat. It was late. And so I already went over the timeline. It was probably anywhere. I mean, it was before 10 o'clock, so probably between 9 and 930 so it was dark. She tried to go, hopefully to the next exit, couldn't, and had to pull over. Where the car was found is a very rural area. So it's not like she was going to walk down the exit ramp and find a gas station to be able to get her tire changed. So the front passenger tire was blown. And... Where her car was, she was kind of in between two exits. The previous exit was exit 108. The next exit that had something of significance, like a gas station or a rest stop or something like that, wasn't actually until exit 115. She was at mile marker 113. So between 108 and 115, there really wasn't anything. It was just a rural road. So, if you're driving down, your tire blows, you're in the middle of nowhere, and you're probably five miles from the previous exit that had something, you know, you're kind of stuck. Her cell phone was pinged by where her car was. When I searched where the cell phone towers were in Canadian County, there were two that were about equal distance from where her car was found. So it's kind of like a triangle. So if her car was at the tip of the triangle, at the top of the triangle, there would have been one 
one cell phone tower at one corner of the triangle, another cell phone tower at the other point of the triangle. So she could have been anywhere whenever they last pinged it, but it was around where her car was. So we know either her or her cell phone was with her car at some point when they pinged it. Another interesting thing about it, or that I found from the police report, was that it wasn't just the burrito in the car. It wasn't just, you know, empty, clean car and then this mystery burrito. The trunk was full of clothes and suitcases, full suitcases, like she had packed, like she knew she was going on a trip or she was going somewhere. It wasn't a sporadic thing. She was planning to go somewhere. And in the front seat, she had legal paper. All it said was legal documents and a copy of her New Jersey driver's license. I don't know what the other legal documents are. I would love to see any pictures that the police took of the inside of the car. Again, I would probably have to make a drive up to Canadian County, Oklahoma to see any of that stuff. Uh, They were very friendly. They might even let me, you know, take a glance at the police computer. I don't know. They were very friendly up there. But, again, fill up my tank or feed my children at this point. So, y'all have to stay tuned for that. So, my question is, why would you have a car full of clothes and legal documents if you weren't going somewhere, if you weren't planning a trip. Now, did she get upset because of what happened at work that she lost her job? She went home, threw all of her clothes and belongings, grabbed these documents, whatever they were, threw them in the front seat and take off? Sure. We've all had that panic moment at some point. So did that happen? Maybe. Or was she already planning to go somewhere? Her family said there was no reason that they knew of of why she would go to Oklahoma. Well, maybe she was, that was just a way to get to where she was actually going. I-40 runs just south of Route 66. Maybe she was needing a break and she wanted to just take a drive down Route 66. I don't know. Maybe she had a friend that her family didn't know about that she was going to see. So there's so many questions. Another thing that I wonder about is that there's a rest stop at exit 108. Did she stop there? Are there cameras? Have they checked cameras at places along I-40? There was a traffic cam less than 100 miles from where her car was found. I think as they were going through I-40 through Oklahoma City. Have they checked that? Did they check that? Figure out the time and check the traffic camera. Because if you check the traffic camera, you could see who was driving her car. Was she in the car? Was she not in the car? Like I said, someone could have just taken her car while it was running at the McDonald's. Or Taco Bell, I guess. Taco Bueno. Whatever you southern people eat down here. Um, If it was a burrito. And, you know, took it and gone grabbed their burrito and gone. The tire popped. It wasn't their cars. They called their buddy. 
and they picked them up. But one more interesting thing that I found when I did the VIN number search was that the day before she went missing, on August 4th, the car was fully serviced. So the oil was changed, the tires were rotated, the transmission fluid was flushed or changed or whatever you do. It was a full workout the day before. So again, why would you do all that, pay for all of that, if you weren't planning on a road trip? If I'm going on a long road trip, I'm always going to, I always take my car in to make sure that the oil's fine and get a little checkup, especially when I had my older car. So she obviously knew that she was going to take some kind of trip. So there's a bunch of questions there that people I don't think have asked before because they didn't look at the information or they didn't see the police report. I still have not gotten a police report back from the McKinney police. Uh, formal police report was not done at her workplace for that day because it was nothing violent or anything. I don't think a formal report was done. She wasn't trying to hurt anybody or anything like that. Um, so the McKinney missing persons police any investigation they've done through there I have not gotten that report back I've requested it twice and still have yet to get that back so um, like I said it's a very frustrating case so many questions that are still unanswered um, she was supposedly very involved with her church I cannot find what church she was involved with down here so if anyone knows that that'd be great if you could give me a call on that one um why did she move to texas to begin with why would she go from a decently paying job to a job that pays probably like a third of what she was making now any educator in Texas or pretty much any state knows that if you want to come from out of state or if you want to change careers and get into education you pretty much have to start from the bottom work your way up so she may have been working towards getting her teaching certification and she had to do certain hours or get you know certifications and stuff so this may have just been a temporary thing while she was getting the proper paperwork and certifications so we're not really sure about why she came to Texas, why she had the big career change, who she was hanging around with, what church she was involved with down here, if she was involved with any. I didn't get any new information really from her family when I talked to her. Like I said, the Oklahoma police, they didn't find anything that they were concerned about when they processed her car. They did process her car, nothing was found. I'm assuming they squirted the glowing stuff and checked for blood. I didn't ask specifically, but um, I'm assuming that nothing came up if they told the tow truck man to, uh, to go ahead and sell it. So, I don't know. It's kind of up to you what you think. A couple of options. Okay, she doesn't want to be found. Sometimes life gets hard. People are over it. They need a new start and they go off. 
I'm not sure about that one just because she's a mother. And that would be very hard for a mother to just go up and leave her kids. The police are leaning towards more of the, she stopped taking medication theory of she should be on some kind of antipsychotic medication, hence the weird behavior at work. So she's probably living on the street somewhere homeless or in a homeless shelter. That's kind of where the police are going with it. Um, you know, she could have met with foul play. Maybe her tire blew. She got out. Maybe she wasn't getting good reception. So she got out, decided to walk. If she didn't know the area, she didn't know that heading backwards would have been better than heading forwards and someone pulled over it was the wrong person who pulled over and you know unfortunately maybe something bad happened um you know it just we don't know her car could have you know like i said before gotten taken when she was pulled over getting a snack or something and she could be somewhere else who knows um, so a lot of questions on this one. I did find some other information that I am not going to tell you about right now. I am still looking into it. This case is not over for me. I will not stop until I solve this case. I promise you. I am going to keep giving updates in future episodes. I'll give you quick updates at the beginning of some future episodes once I get some more info about some of these other other pieces that I'm trying to put together here, um, which if this one works out, I'm just going to tease you a little bit. If this one works out, it is going to blow your mind um, because I am not going to lie. When I found it and I saw it, I threw my pencil down and said, what the because this is a family friendly show. Um, so I can't wait to share that information with you guys once I look into it a little bit more and get these specifics. Hopefully I'll be able to talk to the McKinney police soon um, or get some more information from the family, maybe more specific information as far as why she moved down here or whatever churches she was involved in. If you have any information about the whereabouts of Benita Woody, please call the McKinney Police Department or the Canadian County Sheriff's Department up in Oklahoma. I will put all of this information on my Facebook page. Just search Mysteries with Mommyo. And that way you will have pictures and missing posters, police information, all of that. So hopefully we can help find this missing person and bring her family um, some closure. Hopefully it'll be some good information, but we at least want to get closure for her family um, for this one because it is definitely, definitely a tough one on it. Um, so that is our first episode of Mysteries with Mamio. I hope you enjoyed it. I apologize for any of the background information. My cats thought that they would help by playing in the boxes. 
the dogs thought they were helping by barking at anyone who happened to be walking by the house because how dare they walk in front of our house but that's life that's life with pets I'm sure as many of you know but hopefully that didn't bother you too much maybe next time I'll find a quieter room but probably not because I get winded going up the stairs and I'm not going to the gym anytime soon nor will I be going outside to jog because it is hotter than you know what outside for those of you who are not in Texas thank your lucky stars because I think at midnight it's about a hundred degrees so I don't know why I'm still living here but anyway thank you again for listening for the next episode I hope to bring you a less frustrating case but just as interesting case hopefully one day we will solve a mystery together and get that deal with Dateline. Shout out again to my 80s babies who were traumatized by the scary man and unsolved mysteries. Also who were allowed to watch movies like Jaws 1 through 5 at way too young of an age. We're a generation that knew fear but don't let it rule our lives and maybe that's why we like true crime so much I don't know but have a great rest of your day or evening night whenever you are listening to this I cannot wait to share the next case with you see you later